You're listening to the Dangerous Prayer Sermon Series at Sojourn East. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Good morning. Today's scripture is a psalm of David, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, peace be with you. I am really glad to be able to introduce this new uh, sermon series, four, Four Weeks of Dangerous Prayers. It's interesting, we don't normally think of prayer as something dangerous. Uh, it's usually something that's seen, I don't know, on little cards you get during Christmas with a baby. And, and it really is a dangerous thing, as we would define danger, um, because it's making you step into the unknown. When, that, when your prayers are in ways that, uh, that God would direct, and in some of the ways we're going to look at today in Psalm 139, they truly are things of danger. And, uh, you know, when I've been talking to many of you as a collective church, the long grind of work and children and maintenance and extended family kind of leaves us kind of feeling like 
we're not able to pursue God in the same way we were early in our lives where we can kind of do what we want as the Spirit leads us. And what I hope to do today is just kind of start out down a road that we're going to continue for three more weeks, a road that lets us have our eye on Christ, the image of Christ, and not sort of the image of Instagram, and, you know, be able to go down this road with a map in one hand and a machete in the other. And there's brambles on this road, and this road of being able to grow in, in dangerous prayer is one that won't leave you uh, unchanged and unbleeding, but I hope in a way that allows you to get the contentedness that comes with the life well done serving Christ. So let me pray and ask the Lord that he be with us here today. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your care. I thank you for this message from Psalm 139 today. I pray, Lord, that it would work within our hearts, uh, that you would grow us in a knowledge of you and ourselves. Let me pray. Amen. So we love to travel as a family. So every two, like two weeks during the summer, I try and take off and, and take the whole family somewhere both kind of educational and exciting. So this summer, we went to Croatia, uh, which is in Eastern Europe, and in there, Plitvis National Park, which I don't know if you've heard of it before. It's this series of 16 cascading lakes with 90 waterfalls. Some say it's the most beautiful national park on the earth. Uh, yeah, I can see why they say that. And, and some of you might think it's crazy to pack up 11 children, and I think close to 26 bags, and load them on an airplane, uh, and fly them over to uh, the other side of the world. And you would be right, it is crazy. Um, but it's also ridiculously fun, and, and one of the things we do typically is, is try and hit parks like Plitvis. And one of the things that, that always happens is we pull in and we go to the visitor center and I get this map. And, and you know, I'm looking at the map and just saying, okay, well, what's my reference point? How do I orient myself on this map so I know where to go from here? Because we know any journey starts with knowing where you begin. And that's no different than the good and faithful life that Christ calls us to. So our goal here in this short time is just to encourage you to pull out the map of your life, uh, which probably looks as obscure as these maps you get a lot of times at the park that looks like they're made by two-year-olds with no sense of scale, and, and equip you to search out with the Lord to reveal, where am I at on this map? He knows all the answers, and he also knows that the journey of finding those answers is part of the answer. So where are you as you turn your life kind of back and forth in your mind? We often run so fast that maybe you never have reflected on that. The Greek philosopher Socrates culminated his work in philosophy with this very short saying but profound. The unreflected life is not worth living. That is probably too strong for us, but he makes a good point. I believe that the Lord wants us to search out where we are with regard 
to how he has made us, the experiences we have been given, who he is, and where he's taking us. If we want to see that awesome hidden waterfall in the national park, we are not going to find it by throwing the map to the side, flooring it through the park loop. The stuff along the park loop is always crowded and commercialized and unsatisfying for those that want a truly natural experience. We're going to have to understand the map, understand where we are, go find, hey, this one's three miles off the road, and we're going to have to trek through the, the woods to get there, but let's go see it. It's going to be awesome. It's funny, when I was putting this sermon together, I was struck how important the word search is to us today. And, and what company illustrates that more than Google? You know, I Googled, it's now a verb, to find that Google receives 63,000 searches per second. I mean, just think how many searches even from the beginning of this sermon has gone on. Every day, every day. And that translates to like two trillion a year. You know, I was listening to all our Christmas discussions with our extended family and, you know, every one of them ends with, I don't know, let me Google it. I mean, that, that's, that's our, we search at the end of, for, for our truth. And while that's truly an earthly experience, I think our affinity and desire for searching to find answers reflects the need of a greater search. We were born to search and to explore new horizons. We yearn to delve out the new and the wonderful. What greater mystery is there than the depths of our soul and how it relates to God? There is no greater mystery than that and no greater adventure in finding an understanding of that. Yet we have very few tools to accomplish that search in a deep and meaningful way. For most of us, the beginning of our spiritual search began with the Bible, uh, whether we came to faith later in life, like myself, or were raised by Christian parents. Once we have at least a passing knowledge of the scriptures, we start to ask, how does this all go together, and thus start our journey into theology? As a church, we have lots of tools and resources to equip in those areas, more than one can possibly absorb in one lifetime. Over time, though, no matter how important these resources really are, there seems to be a diminishing return of investing in academic study for growing in godliness. It seems that another knowledge, a knowledge that is more elusive of knowing oneself in the midst of God's plan. We have better and better methodologies and technologies absorbing written material content. But how can we grasp a greater way of understanding who we are, the depths of our sin, the heights of the grace we have received, or experiencing the love of God, or making progress in listening to the Holy Spirit? Content can only help with understanding in a very clinical way, like reading books about being a mother versus holding a child for the first time or feeling the responsibility for this little life. Reflecting upon experience is the only way to get this type of knowledge. You know, 
with our knowledge of scripture and theology, kind of acting as safety rails for that search. Psalms poetically records these reflections. And while this is still not the same as doing the reflective work ourselves, it can give us kind of a case study of that work. David wrote a song recorded in Psalm 139 that displays a snapshot of his journey of personally searching in the midst of injustice. It starts with this. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You see, God knows more about us than we do. David laid bare his life to God in the form of a song slash prayer that makes up the essence of a psalm. Look at the first line. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He acknowledges that God has searched and known him in the past tense. Namely, that God already has all the information about David, you and me, that exists. In order to clarify, David runs through a series of things that God knows that are impossible for any other person to know and truly some things that we don't even know about ourselves. There is nothing you can share with God that he does not already know. So go ahead and share it. And then David does just that. He goes on in verse five. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is, is too wonderful for me. It is high. I, I cannot attain it. Where should I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. Make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Surely, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. And this is the second theme, that we feel constrained by this overwhelming knowledge that God has. And David is very honest here that while it is amazing that God knows all about him, it also makes him feel kind of under an inescapable bright light, cared for at the same time, but kind of squirming. Verse 14 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You may have heard that phrase. It's kind of on kind of Christian literature around periodically. And it's interesting what that word fearfully, when it's used in other places, it's kind of frozen with awe. Uh, it reminds me, you know, we were in several years ago in Norway and got to see a whole bunch of fjords. And uh, they are just so dramatic when you, when you look upon them, at least for me, that, that I just kind of freeze. And it just takes me a moment to just process the scale and scope of this deep chasm. 
Um, not the best thing maybe while I'm driving a large vehicle on the edge of that uh, said chasm. But, um, and with the waterfalls undermining underneath the roads and everything there. Um, and so it's a different kind of fear, a fear of one's life. Uh, but the fear we have of God's overwhelming knowledge is just as real because we feel kind of a loss of freedom. However, this is what's interesting. With an attitude of searching, knowing that God who loves us has the answers both makes us kind of patient because anything that is withheld is for our good. But it also makes us expectant because we know we're looking in the right place for truth. So that gets to our third point. You know, these days have been crafted for our benefit. Look at verse 16. The days were formed for me. God planned those days with David in mind and for all those who have placed their faith in Christ. This is our confidence in any circumstance that the playwriter of this world is good and has written the play in such a way that it would be better for it even, no, that it would be better for it even when it seems like the story is getting kind of dark and tragic. In some ways, this is the essence of walking by faith in Christ. Uh, in a real practical way, we can be excited about every day as it goes by. Because even when something we dread is coming up, we know that God has authored this day and that in, he'll bring about something that is good. You know, honestly, many days that's really hard to cling to. It just doesn't, it's almost impossible. And, and it's important that we express those feelings to the Lord too. Um, then we feel motions that we don't ourselves understand. And, and David does that right here, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. As you may have guessed, expressing feelings honestly is part of the searching process. From our context, we would probably chide David for being so hateful in his language so publicly, and it really doesn't get any more public than kind of the most highly published book in the world. But David has been wrongfully accused of something, as a public figure, I'm, I'm sure this happened to him pretty often. However, why not just leave out this hateful part? It's kind of embarrassing when your main hero of the Old Testament kind of breaks something as foundational as loving one another. However, it is too important to leave out in this case study because we need to have that kind of honesty we need to search it out in ourselves, in our place in God's plan. We can't even repress our most base emotions, but must express them to God and learn what they say about us. Uh, for example, when, when uh, Tani and I first moved to Crestwood, it's 2012, and um, we really extended ourselves financially to find this house that would 
fit what we saw as a very quickly growing family. Um, and it took us a lot of years to find this house because, as you may or may not know, large houses are made to like accumulate stuff in these days, not really to accumulate children. Um, and so most of the designs just didn't work for us. Um, and uh, and it got to the stage, it took so many years that I was sitting there in our tiny house, I was standing up to eat each meal on our pl a plate because I wanted the kids to be able to sit down and, and have a meal. But finally we found a place and, um, and it was in many ways kind of nicer than, than we wanted. And it, one of the specially nice points with these kind of hand-carved doors that were on it with a specialty lock set. And uh, we literally were moving in kind of the last box into the house and I go and kind of just go to the front area, just being excited that we're moved in. And I look down, and like the doorknob is broken off. Like the the doors have been destroyed, uh, or at least the lock set on them. And I, I confess here, I exploded with anger. I, I lined up the kids and and yelled at them that they were going to drive us into utter poverty as they parasitically and systematically uh, destroyed everything we owned of value. Um, and, and, and really let them have it in a way they didn't really deserve. Um, and then with later prayer and searching, you know, I thought about that event and, and realized that was just a door lock. And then I, I just really, with, with reflection, just realized, hey, there's a, there's a greater fear that's behind that emotion out of proportion. And I really wasn't trusting that the Lord had a plan of care for my family that exceeded the ability of me to supply their needs. And it also exceeded our ability to destroy rapidly. The emotion put a bullseye on the target of my searching in the right place that let me grow and put one of those kind of puzzle pieces in the mosaic of of my life, of, say, of understanding who I am and, and uh, who God wants me to be. So let's sum that up a little bit. So number one, searching is always timely. You know, just like the psalm addressed right where David was, we don't have to wait for a certain time of day or get our mind in some kind of condition of reflection. Most time for me, I'm reflecting on my day when I'm driving to or from work. And it takes the form as this kind of imaginary dialogue between the Lord and I. Or sometimes it's just short questions in the middle of the day when a perplexing thing I did or was done to me occurred and it needs some analysis before the Lord. Two, searching is hard because it is honest. Uh, the grace of the complete and utter forgiveness of God through the cross of Christ Let's just have an honest reflection that carves through our outward persona and gets to the heart of who we are. David says in verse 23 there, try me and know my thoughts. You know, it's a very kind of judicial system level of evidence display. You know, it's kind of like how you would think of, of being able to analyze something in a court of law. And, and it's really an honest approach of a circumstance. You know, if we take David's approach and try not to be either too hard or too easy on ourselves, there's some good in that because 
If we go to this extreme of too hard, we're going to emotionally shy away from doing this searching. We're going to feel like it's just bludgeoning ourselves. But if we make it too easy, we're going to find it without any benefit and shy away from it that way. And thirdly, searching's goal, this sounds so obvious, but it's true, searching's goal is finding. I believe that David gleaned some great knowledge from the writing of this psalm. He allowed his thoughts to dwell on the mirrored ways God and his in control. Thus he felt more in control of his circumstances with God on his side. He had an outlet for his angry emotions of betrayal and in personal injustice in a safe environment with a God who knows everything anyway. We should strive for these concrete conclusions. It would be very odd if we were satisfied with searching for a lost item without actually finding it. Strive to understand something about yourself and how God relates to you. Build it in your mind as a monument, and then start building the rest of your actions around that monument. Be patient with it being slow, because change takes time, as we, as we say around here. And you will see more and more clearly who God made you to be, and truly interact with him more and more in your life. Where do I start, though? I hate to be too prescriptive, so feel a lot of freedom about what I'm about to say. Uh, someone between the service said, hey, you should just talk about what you do, Mark, and in terms of where you're kind of searching, and I'm glad to share that. Um, over the last few years, I've been kind of searching at this resolution of bold leadership in my life at the same time of humility. In many ways, they seemed to conflict, and I didn't understand with the calling to both of those items. And I've spent the last kind of few years prayerfully reflecting on that. Well, I don't think I have all the answers in that. I really believe there's been a lot of growth in being able to do that in ways that I can laugh at my own shortcomings at the same time as putting out a bold vision for where I think the Lord's taking the areas that I have some influence on. But even more recently, I've been kind of working through joy, saying, what does it mean to be, have joy in the midst of all the struggles of life? And, um, and I'm right in the middle of that. I have no answers really for you at this stage. But, that, but these are the things that, that grow us into seeing you know, ourselves and our relationship with God in more completeness. Um, ways that, that, while all the academic texts out there are wonderful, that are very personal to you and your relationship with the Lord. And I would just encourage you to, to move forward. And, and one way is just being able to go down this road of just saying, hey, choose something like that. Maybe write it down and, um, and put it somewhere where you're going to see it. And then explore it in these moments of life that are a little bit empty and that God gives you to be able to fill with thinking. And uh, God will answer. I mean, he's real. I know it seems weird to say that in church, but sometimes we act like God isn't real. God's real, and he listens. And, um, and, and you will have answers in his own time. Also, I encourage you just to do each life event with God. What I mean by that is don't just talk to him about, you know, at the beginning, end of the day, kind of what happened. Like, live it with him. 
He's with you in all the life events. Do your life with the Lord. It's kind of how we can pray without ceasing, because many of us have callings, such as myself, that I'm going a lot of hours a day as an entrepreneur. And, and it's one of those things where I can get some extended time of prayer, but it's, it's, it's easier for me to just pray without ceasing throughout the day. And so, I mean, we can, we can take those times kind of before and after the major events of the day and just analyze them with him and ask things for him in them. But even if all that sounds too complex, let me just, you know, distill it down to just pray how, as David prayed. Say, search me, O Lord, and reveal your thoughts to me. That one simple prayer and then listening is enough. It's the mustard seed of faith that is sufficient. So see where the Lord leads you in that. Remember, you have a whole lifetime and, and be content to add to life's puzzle one piece at a time. On the other hand, don't just sit with one, a whole lifetime with one puzzle piece in your hand, never putting it in. Just snap the sucker in and go to the next one. Um, you know, I don't know where each of you are on that, but some want to dwell and you know, some want to accelerate. It's somewhere in the middle. I also hope I haven't really characterized this in too innocuous manner. There's true danger in this searching. I'll just warn you of that, even as I call you to it. Because it's more difficult than imaginable. You will confront your greatest fears. You will. You'll be called to do things that you can only see today as them being impossible. Um, You'll start a journey that will most likely lead to some level of personal suffering. I know these aren't like attractive ways, but I'll tell you, you know, if you're kind of sick of mundane cruise control spiritual life, you know, I know of no other way to start to progress out of that. And I would just be expectant. Over the next three weeks, you know, we'll have others come here and be able to share and equip in, in these dangerous prayers. Just be expectant that the Lord's going to work and be among you as you reflect and grow in this. I also want to say, you know, most of what I've had to say have been to people who are already believers. But the invitation to this life of faith, you know, is open to all those that have breath. Many characterize Christianity as kind of something that's political or systematic or about power. But it's about a relationship with the Lord. It is about the spiritual life. Many today look to Eastern religions as spirituality but the spirituality of Christianity is true, right, and aligns all parts of our mind and heart together into a true spirituality that relates with the true God that is there. One of the other great mysteries to search out in our unity together is that of our unity of the church with Christ. So Christ said, now he's betrayed, that this symbol of bread is his body, and it's been broken for us. And he also raised a cup and said, this wine, or grape juice as your conscience permits, uh, has been poured out, is my blood, has been poured out for you. You know, for those of you who call yourselves Christians, come up and partake in this unity. If you're not, partake in Christ 
and feel free to sit there and reflect on that. Let me pray for us, and we'll go from there. I'm Kevin Jamison, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com slash east.